Time again on Coast Access Radio for another Age-Friendly Cities and Communities program representing the Kapiti Older Persons Council. Jill Stansfield is here. Welcome again, Jill. It's lovely to be here, even if it's a bit cooler today. We've got through hot cross buns and the Easter eggs, well, most of them. <laughs> now we want to recap, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's always good to keep reiterating these sort of points and so on. Uh, a bit of a reminder that where we are, and the Thames Coromandel area, two regions in New Zealand with the highest percentage of over 65-year-olds. That hasn't changed, has it? No, no, it hasn't. Well, for a while, Kapiti, in fact, was the only region, and then Thames Coromandel sort of joined the list, as it were. And when you think about it, I guess that's the overflow from well, uh, from Auckland coming south to find a slightly, well, uh, Will we say cheaper place to live? Well, it wouldn't be cheaper anymore, I suspect. No, no. Well, it's become very popular. I mean, sunnier and, you know, all that. And I wonder whether it's going to make any difference with Transmission Gully now opening up and what that's going to do maybe in the next few years. It certainly will be when you think about it because, um, well, there's a bit of an argument going on as to just how much time you do save, but it's, I think easier driving except I also heard a piece about it being interesting in terms of the amount of power it used for those who are in electric vehicles and I would never have even thought of that. Yeah there's no place to charge your vehicle on it because it's a motorway so you can't Mm. stop yeah you're quite right and there are some very steep bits in both directions and that uses a lot of power also uses a lot of petrol which (laughs) then suggests that, hey, alternatively, use the old highway, State Highway 59. It's very quiet going through there and lovely scenic drive now. It would be, yeah. I I actually, as a child coming down to visit my grandparents who lived in the Hutt Valley, I always remember when the train got to where it was going along the coast, and you'll know what I mean when I say that, I always used to love it because... Growing up in Central Hawke's Bay, we were well over an hour's drive to the coast. (laughs) And so the sea was a novelty. (laughs) And that may well provide... You know, a greater influx of of retirees, maybe. And and with that provides all sorts of different needs and challenges, doesn't it? Yes, it most certainly does. And if we think about us compared with other regions, we actually have slightly different needs. And, well, one of the things that makes me think about that, I'm immediately drawn to the World Health Health Organization's checklist of essential features of age-friendly cities. Mm. New Zealand actually became an affiliate in 2018, and now there are a 1,000 communities in 41 countries, meaning over 240 people, million people worldwide are actually involved in this, um, uh, what do we say, program. Yeah, and it continues to grow, and I know COVID's put a little bit of a stop to it and so on, but that will just continue to grow and grow and grow. It will. And in New Zealand in 2018, there were 715,200 people who were aged 
65 plus, and that actually represented 15.2% of the population. Mm -hmm. Interesting point, 53.4% of those were female. Ah. So, <laughs> See, I mean, they, you know, they used to say, and probably still true, that, that women lived on average, what, three years longer than men. I don't know whether that's still true or not. Well, I think I came across something alluding to that in doing the research behind all this, so you're probably still right. But the number of over 65s is expected by 2034 to be 1.2 million. And a point that New Zealanders need to remember is that the baby boom started earlier in New Zealand and it went on longer here too. So that changes things a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does. It does. And that will also be a bit more of a, a percentage from that 15.2% of the population that will probably raise it uh, what what's the anticipated population by 2034? Hard to know. Maybe six and a half. So you're probably up to 20 percent. See, I'm doing the maths in mm, my head. Jill. Yeah, yeah. Well, doing uh, hit and run maths like that is not my forte. I'm probably better at estimating than trying to work it out. Well, that's the old <laughs> yeah. That's the old actuarial calculations in me from 40 something years ago. Oh, well, there you go. You see, it's all of use in the long run. Yeah. But anyway, back to age friendly. The age friendly. Aotearoa New Zealand program is actually led by the Office for Seniors and they are part of MSD. And talking about that program, I quote, the program provides guidance and support for communities that are exploring or committed to becoming age-friendly. And I think that that's really interesting. Now, one thing I'd like to add is that sometimes I get a reaction from people who are a bit younger than I am who sort of say, we're always doing things for oldies. But in this case, with everything really that is within that checklist of essential features of age-friendly cities and communities, it's not just old people who benefit, it's everyone, especially you know, mums with toddlers, etc., I think some time ago that okay well you're building homes for example that are friendly for people say with wheelchairs slightly you know bigger widths in, in doors door handles are lower those sorts of things but you're sort of encouraging people to stay in those homes for life rather than you know here's your home till you're 65 then we'll put you somewhere else type thing. Yeah, I agree completely. And yes, there is a movement among some building provi uh, home provider building experts to say that they do build homes for life. And, and that's just so good to see because it's like you say, wider hallways, wider doorways, light switches at a convenient level and all that sort of thing. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Now, as you age you could argue that the percentage of people with disability goes up maybe that's that's true but generally one in four new zealanders no matter what age have a disability jill mm, yeah i know when you put it like that it, it's pretty serious and they can face challenges with all sorts of things such as buildings that are inaccessible digital info and communication formats that are inaccessible barriers to employment, barriers to using public transport and public services that are hard to access. 
and currently there's no coordinated effective system to remove or reduce accessibility barriers that disabled people face across society. And that does make it pretty hard for a lot of people when you think about it. And that's... Again, part of the checklist, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. And it's well established that change is needed to improve accessibility in New Zealand. And yes, I'll add that maybe many of us don't think that these points are being part part of accessibility. But from my experience anyway, it's not until something actually impinges on your own personal ability to be able to access wherever you want to go and need to go. And then it gives you a different appreciation of the potential issues. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, the people who make these rules and regulations, they actually themselves are not either disabled or old. If you, you know, mm, older, no, that's, yeah, maybe that's is, is more polite. A very, very f- fair comment to make, actually. And it isn't really until something has happened where you actually have had to deal with what I call accessible accessibility issues, such as injuries that have caused them to become reliant upon, say, for instance, mm. crutches. And as I've said in other publications, it wasn't until when I was a teenager and sprained an ankle, meaning that I suddenly had to deal with accessibility issues, that I became more aware of potential problems. I'll never forget it because it was just so limiting. Goodness gracious me, it was more of a shock to my mental attitude than to my physical, to be honest. That's a really good point about that because, yes, obviously the physical side of things, people see that and, oh, you have to hold the door open and, oh, I can't get on the bus and so on. But <laughs> there really is a mental issue and that's, you know, that is something very, very big to consider. It is. Yes, it is. And I couldn't, you know, well, I found that I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. And even when I could do those things, I had to change the way I went about achieving those goals. Mm-hmm. And another experience I have also talked about before is my experience of being on crutches and while visiting Wellington Hospital for a specialist appointment, I had cause to use the bathroom. And the only way I could enter that facility was to use my forehead to hold the door open while I shuffled around the corner and into that area on my crutches. How silly is that? And those doors are pretty damn heavy too. I guess they haven't changed in the last few years. No, but I really had to sort of lean on an angle. Goodness, when I think about it now, if my forehead had slipped, I'd have fallen over. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> because, as you've pointed out, those doors are heavy. Mm, indeed. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the office for seniors and listed in some of the opportunities we've identified to develop the age-friendly program in the next 12 to 18 months. Now, there's a, quite a good list here. There are, There is, and first and foremost, creating a framework that provides us with a clearer picture of how different districts and regions across New Zealand are preparing for an ageing population because that will enable us to monitor the outcomes of the age-friendly programme and to prioritise our work programme. Mm. Now, to me, that brings to the fore that old problem How do we make sure that the right messages are getting out there so that those who need to be involved in the planning, etc., do get the chance to become involved? It's quite interesting when you think about it. Yeah, it is interesting. Does that mean you have to spend a lot of money on, say, advertising campaigns on television and the newspapers and so on? Or is this, you know, like a public service announcement that they should be giving you all this advertising for free? Well, 
I'd probably choose the latter of that <laughs> and, and hope to goodness that it worked that way. But there, that does beg the question, is is it a matter of what I loosely call public education? Mm. You know, it's what you're talking about too. It's that general level of appreciation and understanding that is sort of at the back of the mind of everybody. <laughs> yeah, I see a good interview with Radio New Zealand or RNZ coming to the fore. You happen to know anyone who who works there? Oh, hang on. No, I don't have any sway there. But that would that you know, it's probably not as dumb as that sounds. That's probably a, a really yeah. good opportunity for for nationwide radio coverage, for example. Yeah. Um, well, it, it is very very hard to, in my opinion, and from my experience, get that level of understanding out there in the general public. Because if I think about what I suppose I could loosely call the battles I've had with getting the age-friendly stuff um, accepted and understood, that's a bit of an example of what we're talking about, really. Yeah, I mean, you have your column in the newspaper, what's that, every fortnight? It's uh, not a, no, it's only once a month. Oh, just once a month, okay. Yeah. But, you know, we do talk for two half-hour lots, and I do talk with other people. And that it's interesting, though, because... I get quite a bit of feedback about both the broadcast and the newspaper articles, and I sort of think to myself, well, there are people out there who do pay attention and who do process the info and take it on board. That helps. So what we we need to do now in every program, Jill, is put some misinformation in to see (laughs) if people are really – no, 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 that's silly. (laughs) Well, that's a good one to laugh about anyway. But anyway, how do we make sure the right message is actually getting out there to the people? And remember that – and this is the real important part – the one thing that we all have in common is that we are all ageing from the day we are born. So there's nobody out there that can sort of wriggle away from the ultimate fact that one day they are also going to be old. That's right. So it's important for everyone and particularly, you know, people in families and people these days live in larger extended families for various reasons. Mm. They will have older people, grandparents and so on. So very worthy of getting the information out there and getting people familiar with that checklist as well. That's that's essential. Yeah, it is, and it's something that, as you know, I do keep working at. <laughs> good, good. But anyway, another dimension I've spoken about, mobility scooter use and related accessibility issues. And one thing that did surprise me was the way, and this is when I started having to use a mobility scooter, but the way the sections of our footpaths are often uneven. Mm-hmm. For instance, the edge closest to the road might be higher or lower than the edge that is closest to the adjoining property. Now, you try riding over that on a mobility scooter because you've got <laughs> a discrepancy, say, of a, an inch or so or, what say, two or three millimetres, uh, sorry, two or three centimetres on yeah. one side as compared with what might be a drop on the other. And that, in a mobility scooter, is a real rock and roll situation, to be honest. You compare that to riding a bike on a road that you think is smooth, <laughs> When you've driven over it hundreds of times, all of a sudden you're riding a bike and, boy, do you come across some bumps and things that you'd never noticed. Similar scenario on footpaths as well. You know, when you're walking on a footpath, you just walk over a a bump. But, no, you will feel every little bump and up and down and you you name it. It's, it's, It's not great. 
No, it isn't. And I think that, you know, it's fair to say that in my <clears throat> somewhat diminished mobility state, it's made me view almost everything differently, and it's thrown accessibility to the forefront of my thinking. Mm. And I should add that some of the issues don't affect pedestrians in the same way they affect mobility scooter users. But if one in every four New Zealanders do have a form of disability, surely that should mean that as it involves a quarter of all New Zealanders, then ease of accessibility to absolutely everything deserves everyone's attention. Not just the attention of those who are mobility impaired, I yep, should add. That's, that's true, because you never know what could happen to you tomorrow. Same sort of thing, really. And as you say, we are all ageing every single second of every day. So this is all important stuff to us, Jill. It, it is. It really is. But anyway, something a bit different. Mm-hmm. Just as we need to think about the physical aspects to ageing, we should also think about our mental exercises and activities too. Mm. And there's a very, very interesting article in the Age Concern Autumn 2022 quarterly newsletter with the title Cognitive Activities for Older Adults. With the opening statement, just as the body needs physical exercise to keep it fit, the brain needs mental exercise to stay active and alive. And I've got a copy of this magazine here. And I thought I'd go through it because it's it's very logical when you do read it, but it's not necessarily something you're thinking about every day. Yeah, you've got to get off your backside. Now, <laughs> actually, in saying that, I mean, some people obviously can't do that if they're in uh, scooters or wheelchairs and so on, but it's, a, it's more a colloquial term. Getting out and about, getting your brain active, getting some fresh air, those sorts of things that helps with, with memory loss, it helps with reasoning, those just those sorts of things, Jill. Yes, and mental exercise stimulates the brain, often providing long-lasting positive effects regarding thinking and reasoning skills, memory mm. and processing speed. Yeah. So what are the cognitive skills? Yeah, what is that? For people that don't know, we use that term, so maybe describe what cognitive sort of is. Well, the definition of the word cognitive means the process of knowing and includes all its aspects such as reasoning, awareness, perception, knowledge, intuition and judgment. Mm -hmm. Cognitive skills are the mental capabilities a person has which allows them to process all the information they receive from their five senses. These skills are needed to be able to think, talk, learn or read. They are what gives a person the ability to recall things from memory. Now, that's important, obviously, for all sorts of reasons. Because, you know, the old days, oh, yeah, grandma's lost her mind because that's what happens to people (laughs) who, uh, you know, in a vague sense, that's true. And you could argue that grandma didn't get out as much and get some exercise, get some fresh air, Mm. doing things and so on. It's the old tradition just to stay home sort of thing. So it's, you know, it's great to get people out and about. These activities, and it's been proven, do improve skills, don't they? They do, yes. There are many types of activities to help maintain and improve cognitive skills. Some of them involve everyday activities. Other mind-challenging activities include, believe it or not, playing games, making crafts, 
and solving puzzles. And in a way, you kind of think, oh, no, you don't do that when you're older. You only do it when you're a kid. Not, it, that shouldn't be the case. Well, you're going to say, you know, most retirement villages, they'll have, say, common room or rooms, and you'll see these sorts of things. That's mm. why they're there. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And But the other thing then becomes you need to encourage people, even in those establishments, to take up the opportunities yes. because not all people will. Yep. As well as that, you know, all sorts of other everyday activities, for example, engaging with people, having dialogue, conversations, those sorts of things, Jill. Absolutely, and by asking for people's opinions and advice on situations and events, your mind is stimulated and you experience a feeling of self-worth. Now, slightly changing an everyday activity is another way to enhance cognitive skills and examples include using the opposite hand to hold the toothbrush when brushing your teeth, try writing your name with your opposite hand to that which you normally use, or even dialing a telephone. Well, if you've got a dial-up phone, most people (laughs) probably don't have a dial-up phone anymore. They're making a comeback. A lot of retro items are making a comeback because they're talking about even things like old cassette tapes and, you know, people who have can have dial-up phones. I've seen these phones. You can have a dial phone system, but you can also press the buttons in them as well. So <laughs> that's quite fancy. So. Oh, that is. Gosh, yes. Mm. But anyway, hobbies and crafts are another good idea because learning a new hobby or craft or taking up a craft are excellent ways for individuals to keep their brains active and alert. These activities stimulate the brain cells and often provide interaction with other people too. Finding something of interest provides you with enjoyment and a sense of positive self-esteem. That's right. A bit of achievement as well, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Do it. I did that. Wow. Just do it. Yeah, Yeah, and, and it is satisfying, and you do extend your own skills and develop new ones as well. So I think that's great. And depending upon your interests and abilities, the following are examples of possible crafts or hobbies that you might enjoy. And they include things like drawing, painting, knitting, playing music, scrapbooking, woodworking, mosaics using tiles or coloured paper, photography, and back to the other one that we talked about earlier, Mm. Games and puzzles. Now, a lot of those activities, uh, you could say, for example, uh, knitting or uh, <laughs> drawing. I mean, they're using your hands and your fingers, and you're keeping them moving, and and you're keeping yourself motivated. And knitting, I I could never do knitting, even if I'd followed instructions to the nth degree. I'd never possibly do it. But that you know keeps you stimulated. You know, people can do it while they're doing fifty other things, for example. But it's still keeping that movement and keeping your brain active. It is, and it's also keeping your fingers agile because Mm. I notice, and this is a bit of a giggle against me, I notice where I've got garments that have got very small buttons to do up, um, I fumble with them a bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally (laughs) understood. And playing games and solving puzzles, also excellent cognitive activities, aren't they? They are, yes, And they engage the brain, keeping it stimulated, and that's vital. The following games are the types of puzzles you may enjoy as well, and the games suggested are dominoes, checkers, chess, card games, scrabble, bingo, jigsaws, crosswords, word search, and sudoku. Incidentally, I should say, 
I don't even get the hang of Sudoku. I'm not <laughs> good at the math side of things. Nah, <laughs> I can I can do it, <clears throat> the easy ones. But sometimes it's something that just stimulates you if you're on even a, a relatively long journey, a train journey, a, a plane ride somewhere, for example, and now we can finally go places. <laughs> it's those sorts of things that just keep you active and, you know, very, very good. Now, it's not only that necessarily on a piece of paper or in a book or a magazine. A lot of smartphones or devices have all that as opportunities as well so you can you can do it electronically also jill yes you can and um one of the things that i really do enjoy doing and and it is a puzzle thing but it's not necessarily referred to here and that is when you come to those code crackers i thoroughly enjoy those because it doesn't matter you can put them down halfway through whereas a crossword puzzle put it down halfway through and i've got to read (laughs) re-step through everything to get back to where i was in my thinking there's a relatively new game called wordle I don't know if you've come across that uh, before. No, no, I have heard about it, but I haven't sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's very popular. It's basically coming up with a word of the day, a five-letter word, and you have six chances to try and guess what it is based on letters that you've previously used and so on. It sounds simple. I've never played it. But again, something like that just keeps people's minds stimulated without having to spend hours and hours and hours doing it yeah i agree with that actually yeah and interestingly enough um a person who used to be my next door neighbor when i first moved into somerset she is a person who had polio as a child and she's now in a hospital situation but she is very keen on doing crossword puzzles and the bigger the puzzle the better she likes it which i think is interesting oh they used to print those holiday puzzles in the papers the whole page and they would take hours and hours and hours i vaguely remember that Mm. that was going back a bit wasn't it there you go there you go (laughs) now this article that we've just you've talked about cognitive activities for older adults so it's this the autumn quarterly newsletter it is in the age concern magazine age concern hortofino kapiti palmerston north and districts magazine so where is this available jill well You probably could get copies at libraries, but if you're really keen to acquire a copy, I'd ring Age Concern because their their phone numbers will be in the phone book, Mm, and that's what I'd recommend. All right. But it is a good production, uh, um, or publication is a better word for it. Yeah, indeed, and as we say, it comes out quarterly, I guess, if it's seasonal. (laughs) True. There you go. Jill, I think we'll just leave it there for now. Maybe next time when we come back in a fortnight, We'll talk about other dimensions of ageing and so on. Always fascinating to catch up and fascinating to talk and hopefully give people some education about all this, Jill. Yes, I think that's a very important part and it's certainly that which keeps me, um, how will I put it, looking for things that might be relevant because that's the motivation behind it really. Yeah, it's all about motivation. Jill, thank you. We'll talk to you again in a fortnight. I look forward to it. Thank you. Jill Stansfield joins us every fortnight on our Age-Friendly Cities and Communities program here at Coast Access Radio.
This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast, and through the AccessMedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.